And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. amen. You all may be seated. Except you, Tom. You're, you're, you're on, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad to uh, introduce Tom. Uh, most of you folks uh, that, that are in our community know Tom. Uh, Tom and his wife, Jean, have been member, long-term members of, uh, of Hot Metal. And uh, Tom is going to uh, share the word with us today. All right. Our word today comes to us from uh, Mark 1, verses uh, 14 through 20. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> the normal sermon on this passage uh, would focus on how these four fishermen received a calling, and without debate or discussion, they were in. They dropped their nets, kissed dad goodbye, Talk about being left behind, right? Uh, they took the great leap into destiny. Isn't that amazing, the sermons ask. What's holding you back from answering the call? What nets must you drop? We too should be ready to answer God's call as soon as it is given. That's how the normal sermons go. I've never been accused of giving a normal sermon. So I have a slightly different take on this. And to get there, I hope you'll indulge me a little bit of my personal journey. And I promise you we'll get back to Mark 1. The year was 1999. It was a simpler time. It was a time when we worried about a New Year's Day computer apocalypse. <laughs> it was a time when if you forgot your wallet, you could still talk your way onto a commercial flight from LA to Chicago at LAX, which is something I did that year. I had just quit my job as an associate pastor at a large church in the Chicago area. And the truth is, to be honest with you, I had never intended on being a pastor. I started out as a volunteer, and I was kind of promoted up the chain by attrition. When the person above me would left, I would move up. Uh, eventually, I was leading about 100 artists and technicians in the church, and they decided they should call me a pastor since I was acting as one. That's the way ordination works in the non-denominational church world. <laughs> I always said I wasn't as much ordained as I was deputized. Uh, but after around seven years on staff there, the atmosphere of the church staff had become very toxic due to some manipulative and borderline abusive leadership. That also happens in the non-denominational world. Um, I really didn't want to make a sideways move to another church and just do the same thing because I had never intended to be there in the first place. I just wanted out. So out I was at the age of 37, no plan, no parachute, no purpose. I had some kind of vague notion that I might get along and make a living on my writing. I had written a screenplay, which was a semi-finalist in the Nichols Fellowship Screenwriting Competition in Los Angeles. And so we sold everything, and taking only what we could fit into two vans, Gene and I headed off for Hollywood. We knew nobody there. We had no place to live. We arrived in LA on Halloween 2000. We lived in a Motel 6 and f until we found a rent-controlled apartment in the valley. 
I went to some writing seminars and joined some writers groups. My screenplay was about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the only meeting I ever got was with the producers of American Pie. So it didn't really seem like a good fit. I was an extra on Allie McBeal and ER and The Practice and Seventh Heaven. You can Google those things and find out what they were. I was in a barbecue scene in Drew Carey's back, fake backyard on his show. I couldn't get on my favorite show, The West Wing, because extras need to dress themselves and you needed to own three suits to get on The West Wing. And at that time I owned, I owned like .8 suits at that time. Uh, so, around that time, uh, oh, by, by far, my weirdest day was the day I went to an interview at David Lynch's house to become his personal assistant. I didn't get the gig. But then the call came. Was it the call of God? Who's to say? But it was a literal phone call. A friend of mine from the church I left in Chicago called to say that the abusive leader had been removed that he was taking over and he was asking me, asking me to come back because he needed people around him that he could trust. So in Hollywood 2001, exactly a year to the day that we arrived, we moved back to Chicago. Now looking back on it, I'm not sure I gave LA the full shot it would have taken to make it there. But after a year of temp jobs and rejections and no money and little progress, my friend's plea, plus a steady salary and benefits and health insurance seemed like it might be the call of God. Life was busy for the next four years. We built and opened a large church building. We extended our attendance to more than 1,000 people each Sunday. But then the friend who had called me back to Chicago, uh, within a year, within a couple months of my return, his marriage disintegrated and he had to step down from ministry. Another associate pastor and I held the church together for a year as they did a nationwide search for a new pastor. Neither of us wanted the job. Uh, but because the church had been through such turmoil, removing two senior pastors within a three-year period, they finally decided to hire an older conservative Baptist pastor. Good for them, not great for me. They wanted dad. And the whole thing had me wondering, was that really God's calling? Perhaps God brought me back for a time to lend stability in a situation until a new leader was in place. So, what's next? Then came the call. The call of God? Who's to say? It was another phone call. <laughs> the only lasting relationship that I had made in LA was calling me. You see, he uh, had moved to, of all places, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and was managing editor at a Christian publishing company. He wanted to hire me, train me for his job so that he could move into media and music. Did I tell you, it was a simpler time. People bought music back then. It was crazy. <laughs> so we visited Pittsburgh. We interviewed for the job, got the offer, and decided to make the move. So in 2005, once again, we packed up our vans, and we moved to a place where we knew nobody for an unknown opportunity. And a month later, in what was becoming a disturbing pattern to my life, the person who brought me there left. <laughs> my L.A. friend disappeared back to L.A., never told me. One Monday morning, he just didn't show up for work. Uh, he missed the beach, I guess. And it put me in a weird spot, because my new employers assumed that I was in on the whole thing, which I wasn't. My training as managing editor was nowhere near complete, barely begun, 
but because I was the only one in the department who had ever managed other people, and the only one over 30, they gave me the job. And 11 and a half years later, here I am. But I look back on all this, and I can't help but wonder, was that all God's calling? Did he entice me to move to LA to meet one person and then move me to Chicago to plug a hole in a church dike and then use that one person in LA to trick me into moving to Pittsburgh? For what purpose? Or am I just a pinball, bouncing haphazardly off the flippers and bumpers of life? No rhyme, no reason, no great plan. I only say it's a plan because who wants to be a pinball randomly careening through life? Is God the pinball wizard? Was Roger Daltrey a prophet? So many questions. Many of you have similar stories. There are key moments in your life, crossroads, forks in the road, where the directions you chose charted your future. The decisions we've all made regarding the people we choose, the schools we attend, the jobs we take, the churches we align with, they have delivered us all together into this particular room right now. Was it by chance? Or was it due to the will of God and the calling of God? After decades of trying to figure all this out, here's my view of Mark 1. Told you we'd get back there. How nice it must have been to have God or the prophet of God show up in the flesh at your workplace and say in very few words, follow me and I'm going to make you into something. These men looked down at their broken nets of their lives, and no doubt they also looked at the old man sitting next to them, a real picture of their future if they stay, and they didn't hesitate. There was no thinking to do on the matter. The future's uncertain, so what? The future's always uncertain. These were backwater fishermen with few options and lousy resumes, and the voice of God was ringing in their ears, offering them purpose and promise. Of course they were in. Why can't I be that lucky? Why doesn't Jesus show up in my life and make me a similar offer? I'd do it. I wouldn't hesitate. I would be out that door before the net hit the ground. Alas, for us, Mark 1 is not really how it works, is it? And yet we yearn to hear God's calling. We want to find something in life that's worthy of dropping our nets. Nothing changes a person's life more than the discovery of one single solitary truth that there is purpose and meaning to life. And more specifically, that there is meaning and purpose to your life. So in the time remaining, I just want to offer three things that I've learned throughout my long period of pinball discovery. The first lesson is that the calling of God is not vocational. It's not about what you do. It may lead to you doing things, but God's calling is not essentially to get you to do stuff. One of the great assessment tools our society uses to judge your worth is wrapped up in the question you're always asked by strangers. What do you do? We ask our children, what are you going to do when you grow up? We ask college graduates, what are you going to do after you graduate? Our culture proclaims with all its force that what you do and what you have are the most important things, and that is a lie. It's a deception that has led entire generations down the paths toward lives of quiet desperation but it's a lie that's reinforced with such regularity that we've grown to believe it, even if it's self-consciously. And many of us have shaped our lives around it. Many of us can't even fathom being able to change our lives because we have set ourselves up with a lifestyle that comes with a price tag that requires a job that provides a certain amount of money. 
I wasted many years trying to discover what God wanted me to do. Now here's something else I believe is that even though that seemed like a waste of time, it was not a waste of time. God used that time. In the Old Testament, God says, I will make up to you the years that the locusts have eaten. That means that God can redeem your wasted time, your misplaced effort, your aimless wandering. The journey may take a little longer. Your GPS might have to keep recalculating, but you're still on the journey. And do not think that God's calling is only for those who go into ministry as a vocation. God's calling is for all of us. In fact, I would suggest that to go through seminary and ordination and confirm a ministry vocation is a rather narrow calling. No offense. <laughs> the job of pastor is to equip the saints for ministry. The job of the saints is much wider and more encompassing. Jesus didn't call priests and scribes and Pharisees. He called regular Joes and Josephines. So that's one. The calling of God is not vocational. Lesson two, the calling of God is not about what you do, it's about who you are. Who you become is infinitely more important than what you do or what you have. The calling of God is for you. The calling of God for you, you want to know what it is? Can't believe I'm giving this away for free, but I am. Here it is. Crap, I know this sounds just like Joel Osteen, but it's the truth. The calling of God is to, for you to become the best version of yourself. Maybe a better way to say that is for you to become the person that God created you to be. He doesn't want to change you into something else. The fishermen were still going to be fishermen. They were just become fishers of people. The meaning and purpose of life is for you to become the best version of yourself. Some people are petrified to ask God what he might want from them. They imagine that he's going to ask them to go to some you know, far off land to become a missionary or to become a monk or a nun. That God's always trying to get them to do something that they don't want to do. Here, here's a secret. God doesn't want to control your life or stifle you or manipulate you or force you to do anything you don't want to do. Quite the opposite, in fact. God will let you do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, as much as you want to do it. Not saying he agrees with it all, but he's, he's going to let you. I mean, when was the last time that God stopped you from doing anything? But if we can find the courage within our sometimes timid hearts to turn to God and ask him, God, what is your dream for me and my life? He will whisper in reply, become the person that I've created you to be. Become the best version of yourself. Once we discover this and place it at the center of our lives, believe it or not, things will begin to make sense. It is the quest to allow God to work on us from the inside out, to test our limits, and to grow steadily toward becoming the best version of ourselves that brings meaning to our lives. God's calling is not about doing, but about being. And as I said before, it will lead to doing. Once you transform, or more likely while you are transforming, you may find more clarity to the decisions of your life. You will choose people and jobs and activities that lead you toward your quest. The yeses will be more obvious. The no's will be more obvious. There will still be some trial and error and dead ends and wrong turns, but it will not seem as random. So here's lesson three. God will achieve this ultimate goal in hiddenness. God will use your wanderings and your pinballing, but if you want to really turbocharge the process, pursue God in hiddenness. That's where he has his workshop. A couple of weeks ago, we heard about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. 
And we might think that John was this wild figure, this celebrity out in the wilderness. People were rushing out to get baptized by him. But in reality, he came out of nowhere. He came out of the wilderness. He was a nobody. He had spent his entire life in hiddenness. Luke 180 says, Luke 180, a lot of verses in Luke 1. Um, he was in the wilderness until the day of his appearance to Israel. Jesus spent most of his life in hiddenness. We know virtually nothing of 30 of Jesus' 33 years of, on earth. And even in the calling that we read about today, we might wish we were those disciples with Jesus showing up and calling us. But dropping the nets and following Jesus was not their story of transformation. Sure, the disciples got to spend roughly three years with Jesus, but that's not what caused their transformation. When Jesus died, the disciples were basically the same fearful, doubting, timid, wavering men that he first encountered. That's because transformation does not happen in our lives from the outside in. The disciples ultimately transformed in the same manner that we do, in hiddenness, through the long-term inner workings of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. And most of that work happens right here in the old brain bucket. In the beginning of today's verse, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. It's rather unfortunate that most tra uh, translations use the word repent because we've come to define that word as meaning that you need to stop doing something naughty, that you should feel shame over something you've done. But in truth, the Greek word here has nothing to do with behavior. The Greek word is metanoia, which comes from our word metamorphosis. It refers to a transformation, in this case, a transformation in your thinking. It literally means to turn around and to change your mind. Paul says it differently. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We experience this inner transformation of our minds only in God's presence and in his likeness and in his beauty. Do you want to know God? Do you want to experience the calling of God? Then seek God in hiddenness, because that's where you are going to find God. That's where you'll hear from God. And that's where you'll discover that God's calling is not to do things, but to be transformed in your mind and in your spirit. It's in God's hiddenness that we overcome hate and prejudice and selfishness and greed. It's in God's hiddenness that we receive healing for the wounds and abuse and addictions of our past. It's in hiddenness, God's hiddenness, that we discover God is not mad at us for the things we've done and said. And it's in hiddenness that we discover that we are loved and cherished and worthy and accepted. Now, many of you may think that in order to find God in hiddenness, you must retreat to a far-off mountaintop or an abbey or some spot in nature that provides total silence and stillness. And yes, doing that actually helps. But you may not uh, need... But you... Uh, need to do that, and you may need to do that to cultivate uh, God's silence within you and, and learn how to find it. But ultimately, it's not necessary. Because the goal of silence or meditation or becoming centered or whatever you want to call it, it's about you becoming silent. It's not about the world becoming silent. It's about you becoming silent as the busy world goes on around you. When you practice silence through meditation or centering prayer, you should be able to get to the place where you can return there no matter where you are or what's going on around you. I found this through practices uh, that help my inner being, like meditation and centering prayer. Other people find it through things like yoga, silence, journaling, nature walks, or even talking to a therapist. But whatever it is, do the inner work. It is a pursuit that can be practiced and cultivated. 
So the calling of God is for everyone. The calling of God is not about vocation or what you do. The calling of God is about who you are. And God's call to be transformed occurs primarily through hiddenness. In 2014, Krista Tippett uh, interviewed the Jesuit priest and author James Martin for her radio show, which is now a podcast, On Being. And he talked about hearing God's calling while watching TV and eating a warm bowl of spaghetti, or warmed over bowl of leftover spaghetti, while working a dead-end job at General Electric. He was watching a PBS show about a man he had never heard of before, the author, social worker, and Trappist monk Thomas Merton. Merton had experienced God's call on a busy Louisville street in Louisville, Kentucky. He suddenly experienced this intense feeling that he loved everyone on that street. It changed his life. In fact, there is still a plaque on that Louisville street where you can see where that happened. Now, in the PBS show, Merton said this, and he asked a series of questions. Why do we spend our lives striving to be something that we would never want to be? If only we knew what we wanted. Why do we waste our time doing things which, if we only stop to think about them, are just the opposite of what we were made for? Those words changed Martin's life as he ate his warmed-over spaghetti on his couch. And on the podcast, Martin said this, everyone has a vocation. The most fundamental vocation for everyone is to become the person whom God created. And it's both the person you already are and the person God calls you to be. And I think we find out through our desires what moves us, what touches us, and what we are deeply drawn to. And part of that's career, but it's only a part of it. It's really who you are called to be. And I think we all have an image of the person we want to become. You know, more loving, more open, more free. And that's a call. That is God calling you to become that person. And becoming that person is a process that has joy in it and delight, but also heartache sometimes as we let go of the things we were not called to be and the parts of our lives that are causing hurt or holding us back. This comes up again and again in the spiritual direction I do. People see who they are before God and they feel the sense of wanting to, in a sense, move beyond that and become someone different. And I always tell them this is good. This is God's calling for you. Jesus came to Simon, Andrew, James, and John, casting their nets on the Sea of Galilee because that's where they were. But it may be presumptuous, but I think that they weren't fulfilled in doing that because they knew they were to be someone else. They couldn't have been fulfilled. The way they leapt and followed Jesus, those men must have felt, as James Martin did, that some sense of wanting to move beyond the people they were to become somehow new. But their transformation, like ours, was a journey and a slow unfolding. James Martin remembers a, the time he ran into an old spiritual mentor, a man named Harry. And Martin says, I lamented to Harry that I didn't seem to be changing quickly enough. I knew the kind of person I wanted to be, free, open, relaxed, compassionate, patient, mature, generous, but my imperfections held me back. How could God change me? When could I change? Why wasn't it happening faster? Harry smiled and he looked out the window to the grounds of the retreat house. He said, you see that tree over there? I glanced at a large maple tree on the knoll which I had passed frequently as I wandered through the woods. It's green now, he said, but in a few months it will become beautiful red. Then he paused and said, and no one will see it change. As I look back on my life and all the things I have done and the people I've met and the places I've been, I can totally see God's calling to transformation at work. And here's what I think. If I had made different choices, I'm fairly certain that the same changes would have taken place. Different methods, a shorter or longer period of time, but my changing was hopefully still moving closer to becoming that same person that God wants me to be. 
And now I am eager to see what God is going to do in the next 15 years. And that's the calling of God, transformation. Repent, change the way you think. And when we answer God's call by participating in the process, we discover who we are, what we want to do, and what we can do. And we discover communities of people who are undergoing a similar journey. It involves real change, change that we can hope for until we see it, and a change we are glad to see one day. It's a gift from the God who loves us as we are, who at the same time calls us to be different, and who finally makes us new. Amen?